Hey everybody, we're back with another Commission podcast. This for a Coen Brothers film, their first film that they they wrote and directed together. Uh, Sean Ray commissioned this podcast. This is for the 1984 film Blood Simple, directed by Joel Coen and written by both Joel and Ethan Coen. Now knowing the Coen Brothers as I do, do I believe that at no point did Ethan step behind the camera and direct a few scenes here and there? No, I do not. <laughs> But that's how it's credited on Wikipedia and IMDb. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim, and in the movie th- itself. And the movie itself. Jim, what did you think of this of this movie? Uh, I thought it was pretty good. It it it's low budget ish, and it's made in 1984, so you kind of get what what you get there. Uh-huh. Um, it doesn't look great, but I think I don't know. Overall, it was pretty interesting. I thought that. Unfortunately, I didn't enjoy this movie on a just a visceral movie watcher level. I saw this <laughs> more as a historical p- interest because this is the Coen Brothers' first film, and a lot of the you see a lot right. of um, you know proto efforts at creating suspense oh, and yeah. doing misdirection and and comedy of errors and like these these different tragic elements that they're and 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 you know people that are bad at crime that ultimately came together. Much more with much more polish and much more refinements in movies like Fargo, which Absolutely. I think are better. The other thing is, I oh, yeah. thought th- I thought this movie had a lot of pacing problems. Hmm. Like every single time that the two that the leads would dig- get together and have an extended conversation in a car or in a bed or whatever, I was just like, wow, I. I that I don't know whether they were trying to build drama or what, but I found it I found it slow. And then some of the. Some of the goofy crime, not, I don't want to say goofy crime stuff, but some of the crime aspects, the inept crime aspects, felt l- weirdly low stakes. Because this hmm. is ultimately okay. about a guy who finds out his wife is cheating on him and takes out of uh, a hit. Right. And a hitman cutting corners and the miscommunications that arise from those situations and how kind of inept. Oh, I don't think the hitman's cutting corners. I think the hitman double crosses him. Well, I mean, I think the hitman did a little calculation. It's like, well, I can murder instead of murdering two people, I can murder one person and get the same amount of money. That's what okay. I mean by cutting corners. Cutting corners, I would say, is getting the job done cheaply. <laughs> okay. Getting the job yeah, done. You're right. Maybe a little more sloppily than he should. You're here. Right. That, that's like paying a general contractor to remodel two houses, and he remodels like <laughs> he, he just he blows up your house right. instead. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Fair. Fair point. <laughs> Um, but some of the stuff like at the end where you have the final scene of the um, private detective slash killer uh-huh. stalking Francis McDormand. Dormant? Dormant? Dormand? Um, uh, yeah, I don't know how to say exactly her last name. Uh, Sheriff Margie. Right, Margie uh, Gunderson from Fargo. How he's kind of like, I, I didn't understand, like, why is he sticking his arm through this window? It seems only to make her think that it's her husband back from the grave to try to kill her and give her the opportunity. It's like, you know, and some of the stuff that Sean sent me, like in retrospect, feels like the Coen brothers had these like images. Yeah, yeah. Of like, oh, a man being buried alive, and oh, these uh, th- this this gunfire coming through drywall in a in a dim room, and illuminating these shaf- illuminating these shafts of light, and like they had all these really great visual aspects of the storytelling, and then came up with a scaffolding of story to they hang these set pieces on. So to me, it works better as like there's three vignettes in this movie that are kind of tense and interesting and exciting, but because of the budget and because of the 
me not engaging with the characters and the pacing problems, I don't think it worked as well as it could have. Okay. And I feel bad because, you know, again, this is the <laughs> Cohen's first movie. I feel like I I should have set up and took notice. But at this point, I've seen so many Cohen films. Like, I think at this point, right. I've only not seen Inside Lewin Davis. Mm-hmm. Is that the, the, the one they made, like, two years ago? I think so. Uh, that's the only one I haven't seen, and, and this is like a less polished version of all the stuff that I've seen before. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right about all those criticisms. I mean, I think as a first attempt, it actually succeeds on a few levels that are surprising. More in the writing, I think. Um, and you know, they both wrote, they co-wrote this, so um, they both get the credit for it. I I don't know that I felt like the direction was quite as good, and I don't know if that's a consequence of it being low budget or the first time. Um, director stuff. I don't know if he's a first time director, but it was the first time they had they had conspired together to make the, a film like this, uh, and the first first feature length, which is a difficult thing to pull off. Oh sure. So I, I don't I don't want to get too down on him here, but I think there are a lot of interesting things that the movie does do that I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you mentioned kind of these moments, and I think that is sort of where this movie shines, like. It doesn't. It doesn't take the tone where, you know, in its in what it's doing with these these inept criminals. It doesn't take the tone where they're just complete bumbling idiots. It's more like they're in over their head, right? It's, it's kind of like what an average person would do if they were presented yeah. with this thing and like, oh God, I think, I think my girlfriend might have murdered someone, and I love her, and I've got to do what I think I should do as a man, which is, <laughs> right. you know, she's she's a flighty woman, and she doesn't know how to do these things properly, so I'm going to take my windbreaker and try to... <laughs> my windbreaker? A hilarious thing, something designed to repel fluids. Right. <laughs> I'm going to try to soak up a pool of blood with it. Like, I mean... That, Good luck, buddy. I, now, the thing is, like, a lot of stuff, like, with, like, uh, Jerry Gunderson in Fargo, uh-huh. I, it reads as comedy, because right. that's the way he plays it, but... Um, the the stars of this film, which you know you probably recognize, I think is is a that guy them, yeah. uh, John Getz is the Ray. He's the one I recognize the least. Yeah, uh, the so other three. I just feel like if if like a will you have William H Macy mugging for the camera, you'd yeah. get a little bit of intentional comedy out of that. But mm-hmm. this was like some of this stuff was like I think unintentional comedy that you know you're supposed to be like oh my god if I'm a average Joe trying to clean up a crime scene. And maybe in 1984, that concept was fresh enough that it worked a little better. Yeah, maybe. Um, or or maybe it's just a consequence of this being the first attempt, and they haven't quite nailed the tone in right. the directing, right? Um, right? I'm not sure, and I, I don't know. Like, clearly, they're tr- they're chasing this Fargo vision that they've got, right? This, yeah. This feeling, and it's it's all over this movie. It's just... It's not quite as refined. Um, and, the, and, and the one scene that was not like an action scene or um, I guess a plot driving scene that I thought worked was when uh, Ray went back to the bar and confronted Marty for his yeah, two weeks. on the back steps there. And they, you, they're they kind of dueling with each other. And I thought that actually was the one kind of moment where there was some uh, – the, the, the movie approached crackling tension. Yeah. Um, but then there's a lot of stuff where like that scene where Ray is dragging the – the shovel over and kind of menacing Mar- like I just didn't buy it. I didn't feel like Ray was a they needed both of these characters to be kind of badasses or to have a lot more mm-hmm. personal animosity than I guess I thought they did. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's it very much seemed all business between them. Yeah. Um 
uh, until you know Marty says, you know, I I've been thinking about it and thinking about it, and need you to kill these fools. Yeah, well, you know, but it's like the it's, it's slow dragging across the pavement. That red is something like kind of menacing, rather than you know, an every man trying to commit a murder. Like, oh, I'm going to bury this guy alive, not because it's a cold blooded thing to do, but because. I'm too squicky to actually kill. like. I, I'm not going to kill this guy. The sh- I'm not going to beat this man to death with the shovel, <laughs> right? Uh, I'm just going to bury him. Like pretend like you know. I'm just, just as if that's not giving him a death sentence, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it's a way. Like I thought it's a way that to avoid was, responsibility. That was kind of interesting psychologically. Exactly. Yeah. It's a way to like. Well, I didn't really kill him, right? While you know, yeah, you did. In fact, yeah. you're doing it in the most horrific, dehumanizing way possible. And he later comes to terms with that. You know, he has the conversation with Abby. Where he tries to tell her that he's killed Marty, he never actually does. I well, don't ev- think, but he's like, right. I, he was alive when I buried him, or something like that. And everyone in the movie is trying to tell her that she's not like Maurice the bartender. Is like, no, he's not dead, and she thinks yeah. she's gotten like she misunderstands a phone call from. I keep on to say bounty hunter, but the private eye, yeah, the murderous I, private eye. I only know him as T.R. Polk from Camp Nowhere. The, the mid '90s kids. I guess he's been in movie. so many stuff, but the only thing I can yeah. remember him being in is that uh, crazy Steve Martin film where he invents the magnetic eyeglasses, and he's the. <laughs> there's that. I think the funniest scene in the film is where there's a sniper trying to kill Steve Martin, much like this film. Uh, and he's standing in front of all these oil cans, and he keeps mm-hmm. missing. And the oil and and Steve Martin is like, "Oh my God, someone's someone's got it out against the oil cans." Not re- <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, but that I I I guess he's a pretty famous character actor, yeah. and, and he's well regarded by a lot of people. Um, but in this movie, he just plays as as a silly guy. Yeah, he's... a silly guy who's in the business of murdering and taking pictures he shouldn't be taking. He plays a lot of private detectives. Um, so at least in movies I've seen him in. Uh, so yeah, he our, plays a sleazy guy. So our private detectives, well. like I, I guess, I always thought of them as the good guys. I never thought of private detectives like, oh, you want me to murder someone? Oh, sure, I'll murder someone. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, I don't know what the line is there, but apparently the Coens have a complicated relationship with them too, because in Big Lebowski, the private eye is clearly trying to do a thing for a family. Mm. Uh, he's not out to murder anybody. Right. <laughs> he seems like a generally decent guy. Uh, but in this film, yeah, Emmett Walsh is, oof, he's a, a piece of work. And he's taunting this guy. Like, he doesn't, I feel like he doesn't feel, you know, give a shit about Morty. I will say that it's unfortunate that they gave Marty two first names, Julian yeah. Marty. Because when I first, I try to, um, when someone's first introduced, or like write their name down. And I think uh, his wife that's played by Francis, who is Emma? What's her name? His wife played by... Oh, Frances McDormand, Abby. Abby. Yeah, yeah, Abby. Uh, Abby refers to him as Julian and being afraid of Julian. So then when people were talking about Marty, I'm like, who the fuck is Marty? Uh, and then Maurice, the bar, like I like, well, did I write down Maurice wrong? And it, it took me like most of the way through the movie to resolve who the hell Marty was. Yeah. So that's, and then when that's his Lloyd last name. Came in and said, "Marty, yeah, right. I'm Back to the Future." <laughs> yeah, yeah. That really confused the issue. I don't know why they had that scene in there. Your wife's boyfriend's going to murder you. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. So I thought the most disturbing thing about Marty was that he drinks Alka Seltzer and milk. I I just can't abide that. 
That's real gross. You know what I want? Every time I'm drinking milk, I wish it was carbonated. <laughs> oh, God. Like, that's that's what it's missing. That's what it's missing. I don't know that you're wrong, because I can't imagine it, <laughs> but it sounds pretty gross. Uh, yeah, I don't I, I don't know. Um, do you... So I... Because thing... he's got... Like, Sean's got a ton of stuff directed feedback that we can get into, or that's like, do you have... Because that's the thing, like, since the movie didn't really hook me or engage me, like, I don't have as many natural conversation points. Right. Um, but if you've... Yeah, by all means, if you've got them, keep them coming. Uh, I, I mean, I've got random observations, and most of them are just silly, but uh, what what did you make of the title of this movie, Blood Simple? So I, I, I saw that it's a reference to some kind of um, – I'm not sure if it's a historian or if this was a work of historical fiction, but someone describes people who have been in prolonged violent situations like war or hostage situations as blood simple. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're slow and kind of paranoid and not thinking straight, and I guess that describes – but what I don't understand is why these people Ray. are blood simple because – they seem to be in a just a, like this guy's a, sle- a bar owner and he's a sleazy bar owner, but he doesn't seem particularly violent or like have his elbows covered in blood. The guy's just a bartender. The girl, the woman's just a just a wife. Yeah, I mean, I think halfway through they become blood simple. So like, I, I wish the, they the confusion is the element that's introduced to uh, me that makes them blood quote unquote blood simple. Um, I guess I would have uh, this movie would have worked a little bit more if they had established Marty as more of a violent man, like to be feared. I think so because he, I felt like he just seemed like he was weak and ineffectual. Like he, I wouldn't be afraid of that guy. Uh, I wouldn't think him capable yeah, of taking I, a contract out on someone. Okay, I mean, maybe not. It didn't seem like Ray had all that much fear of him. Like, he goes and he talks to him on the the steps. Sure. Asks for his two weeks of pay, and he doesn't ever seem threatened by But when Marty. Francis says, I'm not afraid of you, Marty, at the end, like, that red is like, well, why would you be? Why, you know? Uh... Well, I, I mean, somewhere in the dialogue I got the implication that Marty might be capable of, of either worse... Um, well, there's that bizarre things than we see. There, there's that something. bizarre pillow talk conversation where she says that Marty confessed to her that he thinks he might be anal. Right? Yeah, I don't know what they were getting at there. And I'm like, what? What? That he might not be a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a lawyer. I yes, yeah, like I I I didn't. Is that what you're talking about? Because that this red is like the bizarre statement to make. Not like no. He might be homicidal. He might be... Right. I, I think that was a, a Cohenism. I think that was a way of them trying to say something without actually saying it and using a, a weird word. That might not be appropriate describe. because they yeah. are. I have come yeah. to appreciate that they're a bit trolly of their audience. Sometimes. Which with, is with something like that. that I have a hard time, you know... Uh, understanding that that, uh, that that impulse. I guess I don't look at it as being trolly. I look at it more as like we're going to do something that's a little weird and you're going to have to follow us down this hole, but we think you'll get it. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I think that's where they were going with that anal stuff. But uh, no, there was some, <laughs> there was something else. I was reading, yeah. I was, you know, I was reading analysis and people, there was people openly questioned whether that's supposed to be her way of saying that he might be gay. Oh, hmm. 
Um, because no, otherwise, I, if you take it in like the general colloquialism, like if I told you, it's like, oh, I have my manal. That's like I'm like obsessed with uh, yeah. overly obsessed with details or cleanliness or right. you know some, something like that. I'm prissy or uptight. It doesn't mean, but yeah. like her in 1984. Uh, expressing that might be fears that her husband's actually gay or like is, hmm. is that some kind of sinister connotation but since it doesn't really make sense on any kind of any reading of the word it, right certainly like saying I, they're I'm afraid, saying something I'm with that word my husband's anal doesn't mean like oh well you should be terrified of him then. <laughs> right they are definitely trying to say something with that word it's just not a common meaning or or really it, you'd never find it in the dictionary under anal. Like, that, that's not one of the meanings, but he's, they're using it that way. He's in blood anal. Movie. He's, blood he's just blood anal. anal. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, but I I don't know. So I, I thought it was really cool the way they kind of flipped the script on both of these main characters. I'm talking about Abby and Ray. Like, halfway through the movie, you know, the, the hit, T.R. Polk, whatever his name is, Emmett Walsh, kills Ray. Uh, Marty, and then Ray stumbles in on it and and believes that his wife has killed, uh, or or that yeah Marty's wife has killed him, mm-hmm. and and this I I thought this was set up brilliantly because he knows that she has that gun, mm-hmm. he finds the gun under the table where where Emmett Walsh kicks it, and I don't know why he kicks that gun. Um, well, no, so I actually because that confused the shit out of me, and okay. I was reading a review that asserted that. Uh, Ray kicked it and the gun goes off. Which, because like when when we watched, I remember like, wait a second, is Ray psychic? Did he just have like a premonition of this all happening? Uh, oh, but I don't. Because again, okay, I, I actually um, I actually watched the movie twice. Okay, because the first time I'm like I I was was having a hard time connecting with it. Um, but I still didn't get that. I still thought that was a bizarre kind of thing. And then yeah. so I'm not even sure if that assertion is correct. Okay. Well, regardless, he you know he finds the gun and he assumes that Abby has killed him, mm-hmm. uh, and then Abby assumes that uh, Ray killed Marty later on in the movie, and then I think Abby actually thinks that Marty is in that house trying to kill her at the end. Oh yeah, though, because she says through the door, "I'm not afraid of you, Marty." When she's talking to the right, to right, the, the okay. The, I keep wanting to say he's a, he's a uh, he's a bounty hunter, but he's a private eye. Right. Uh, and then so, he says, well, ma'am, if I see him, I'll tell you, which... Yeah, which I guess... Does she hear that? I, I think she does, yeah. Okay. So she realizes at the end. But that, to me, is the brilliant part of this, is the confusion um, mm-hmm. that is just scattered throughout this movie. Mm-hmm. And none of it feels like it's confusion for confusion's sake. Everybody has a reason to jump logically to the conclusion they jump to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Yeah, and that's rare. Like when yeah. you have these it's a types tough thing to of pull like off. if everyone just sits down and like wait, 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 what? What's going on? Let's huddle up and say, oh, okay, that's then the right. movie just falls apart. You don't have a movie. I thought that that that's a little <laughs> bit more clever than your average version of that plot. And there are maybe moments in the movie where that should have happened, like you know ray and abby have a pretty extended have conversation, a conversation of like i've killed no wait no that can't be like where you think that they would want to instead of like pause that conversation like oh, we'll continue to later like no no i we need to this is important let's let's get to the bottom of it right right i i really need to know did you kill marty yeah uh instead of just assuming that but yeah i mean i don't know it it, it almost it almost knocks it out of the park on that level for me Hmm. It's it's pretty strong there, um, and I think 
you know, even even Fargo doesn't have the level of confusion that this movie has, um, which, you know, Fargo has a lot of other things that really? make it Really? Why do you say that? Does I don't have a lot know. of confusion? I mean, I mean, it has confusion, certainly. Right. Um, I just, I felt it more strongly in this movie. Because I could, I, I mean, honestly, Fargo, like, this is, like, the blueprint that Fargo was built off yeah, of. You have absolutely. A, you have a contract being taken out. Mm-hmm. You have a person realizing the significance of it or having a, a ca- mental calculation deciding to alter the terms of that contract. Then you have, uh, you know, a whole series of misunderstandings arising from that and right. frustrations. And the thing is, is, like, there's a lot of little things, like, at the end where... The private investigator is laughing at the cosmic joke that he – I think he's realizing that this wife shot him and didn't even know who he was. Right. But he does like this explosive laugh that felt like weirdly edited. I feel like if the Coens made this movie today, that would have been a little bit more underplayed. So the actual humor you – know, the bit, the bitter irony would come through rather than just like <laughs> – Right, kind of moment. This guy was a lunatic through the whole thing. Yeah, and, like and maybe maybe a try a false. couple different takes there. Uh, whatever mm-hmm. your name is, and and try to give us a, a a bunch of different ranges, and we'll see what plays. And also, they wouldn't like smash cut to him, and there would have been like some of the editing and direction are just a little unpolished. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, the other thing that's interesting is there are actually two. Eh, I don't know if I'd call the incinerator a red herring necessarily. It's a Chekhov's gun that never goes off. Um, the lighter, though, is a red herring entirely. Why? Why? Because the guy's dead by the end of the movie, right? It doesn't matter that that lighter is left on that table. Well, but- it mattered because that's what brought him. So what's weird is they set up two things. Um he left the lighter behind at the crime scene, but he also left the picture where he shows the two people dead. Either one right. of those things would be reason for him to go back to the bar and find it. It's weird that Cohen's decided to do both because he, he they showed him realizing like oh, oh I mean they my literally put oh, fish oh. on top of that lighter. I mean <laughs> if it if they didn't want it to be a red herring, maybe don't put the fish on it. But that's what I would call it is <laughs> a red okay. herring because it ultimately like you're right. He could have gone back to the bar for that. It's like if it's like if uh, in an, in if Humphrey Bogart had left his fedora and left shoe at the crime scene, like what? And going back to the, <laughs> why, here's well, the other why thing: do you like, have, to have two. He, yes, he goes back to the bar, uh-huh. but he doesn't do anything while he's there. He looks for the lighter and he leaves, doesn't he? No, he says I think that's something I missed on the first time. But you notice how battered the safe door was. Uh-huh. There's evidence that he tried to break into that safe to get to retrieve the. The, the photograph that Marty, okay. for some reason, stole. I guess he was going to do... Yeah, why right. did Marty... And then, and then Maurice sees that the was thing Marty is Was Marty going to use that to blackmail and... him later? Like, why did he steal that picture? Well, he burned him, right? Well, so, the, the yes, the, the bounty hunt, the, the private eye burnt them, but yeah. Marty kept one in his safe. And he did, like, right. a sleight of hand when he was giving him the money. Uh, Why did he keep it? Was he going to blackmail him for the money back later, or...? Yeah, might have been an insurance policy. Hmm. Sure. Didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> At any level. No, it didn't. Got him killed. Uh, but that's what I'm saying. It's like some of that visual okay. storytelling, I think, was a little creaky, which made it, it harder to follow than it should have been. Like, yeah. I don't... You know, and I, I guess that's first-time director. You don't know all the shots you need. You don't know need all the inserts. You don't need the stuff. It's like, oh, you know, we went from point A to point B. We really needed a point to go from point A to point C and put point B in there. You know what to, they actually to, to needed? It. So here's the one thing that I think is 
I don't know, probably a continuity error, probably just an oversight in writing or direction. He He's left his lighter on the table in the bar, right? Yeah. In the back office. He goes in, he grabs these pictures, and he burns them. It's not until after he burns these pictures that he realizes he's left his lighter at the bar. Mm-hmm. How is that possible? Does a man with a lighter use some other means to light pictures on fire? Yeah, and I saw and like on there's a discussion on Reddit where like the the biggest logical leap of this movie is this this guy who they've introduced as a chain smoker would take right. any time at all to He's got to drive. To, to, you to, know he's smoking he's while he's driving. He's got to light up. Yeah, it's like to realize that he left his lighter behind. But and, and then he actually burns something right. without realizing sure. he's left his lighter behind. What that's, the fuck? That's a good point. Well, the other thing is like there's like a lot of things like the lo-fi budget of this thing I've misdirected me. Like they showed Marty breathing in a couple scenes and I thought right. it was just, oh, this guy's a shitty death actor because sometimes <laughs> in low-budget films you can see a guy uh-huh. who's supposed to be dead and you can see him you know, breathing. Like that, that happens all the time, but no, that was a plot point. The fact that he was breathing. Yeah, uh, I was with you. I I thought he was dead. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what. Um, I Let, mean, let's go into some of the feedback that he's okay. Got. Okay, uh, he wanted to know what we thought of performances of the four leads. Um, honest to be completely honest, the only one that I would have been impressed with at all was Francis McDormand. I thought John okay. Getz as the boyfriend was a bowl of tapioca pudding yeah, that I could not figure out. Like there were moments where he was scary. He seems but he seems very few. He, both of these, both him and Marty, seem like average men that f- had the misfortune of falling in love with a more sophisticated, intelligent. Like she's still in their ecosystem, but you, I, I felt maybe this is because of my affection for McDormand <laughs> and all the other yeah. Cohen stuff she said, but I just felt like that she was a. Uh, bored because of the situation she was in, but she had a lot more depth, and she's never going to set. She's never going to be satisfied by the situation or any of the people in it, right? And they were the average guy that just like you know punched way over their weight, and is now just desperately trying to hold on to that thing. Um, Dan Hedaya, who is the butt butt chin guy, okay, um, yeah, Marty. I, I mean, I've I, he's just okay, but I again, yeah, oh, I agree. Was he supposed to be menacing? Was he supposed to be inept? Was he supposed to be, you know, stupidly trusting? Like, I, I don't I, I don't got know. more betrayal and desperation from him, which I'm not certain you're supposed to get desperation when he puts out a hit. Right. I think you were supposed to get uh, some some it's kind of scary like, well, I, feeling I, from I him. I guess I, I wanted him to be like um, Robert De Niro in Casino. Like that kind okay. of owner, but he yeah. wasn't. Like he he owned some kind of bullshit honky even like the grocery that Patrick king. Swayze would bounce for. You know, like, like the grocery king from Fargo season one. Yeah, that was that was a more of simultaneously a like a yeah a, a scary and in control character right. in a lot of ways. Uh, M Emmett Walsh, who was the uh, aforementioned hitman slash bounty hunter slash private eye Lauren, slash bodyguard. I think his name is yeah. Uh yeah um I don't I just felt he was this tr- tr- tremendously silly character like yeah. that this was the but also a little hints of like this is the archetypal evil character like primal evil character that the Coens like to play around with like there's there's shades of the uh, a post apocalyptic biker okay uh, from raising Arizona like mm-hmm. that's like he's like this fl- he's he's kind of slightly evil but flamboyant foremost and 
and, and yeah. a lot of the same way that like Lauren Malvo was. Mm-hmm. Um, like the the, I think the Coens wanted to like oh you know it's it's killers are boring. We want someone that's like you know got a little pizzazz. Like people are going to re- walk out of theater remembering this guy, right? And but not all of it quite worked. And I think yeah. some of it was like his line readings, and some of it was just the fact that like he was always seeming to be in on his own private joke that didn't fit the scene, mm-hmm. but it didn't work for me. So, like I said, yeah. like of all these four people, I think the only one that really would stand out was Francis's portrayal. That she, there's something about her. I think she's super compelling. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, she does have a, a certain, a, a larger amount of charisma than most actors. Um, but yeah, I, I don't even know if she stood out for me. Uh, honestly, across the board, like a lot of the acting, yeah, certainly she was better than the other actors, but not, not head and shoulders for me. Right. Uh, he wanted to know if we feel genuine concern for McDormand's character and disdain for Walsh's character. I, I didn't know. I didn't feel disdain. Why would I feel disdain for Walsh's character? Because he betrayed. He backstabbed Marty. Two, two but we're people not I don't care about. Look, we're not supposed of, to like Marty. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that I'm supposed to write like Ray either. Right. Uh, we're, sp- uh, we're. I guess we're supposed to like him because Abby likes him. And Abby's guess, the one we're I like to be identifying with. Yeah. I like Abby, but like when that guy's groping his hand through the window, like I never felt tension because like yeah, he it's not like he's Mister Fantastic. He can just stretch his arm out and grab her. He's not like uh, some kind of unkillable movie ghost. He's just a, right. a he's just a chubby dude reaching his hand through a window, <laughs> and I it's like I saw it a mile away. She's going to slam the window down and right. stab it. And sure enough, what was his plan? Open the window and then crawl out there and go in through the window well i mean i guess that's the thing is like oh she's gone out the window before i get my fat ass out here on this ledge Mm -hmm. let me see if there's the wind like how far away is the window and all that which i think you could quickly ascertain by just like briefly up that's there but like it did feel like he was trying to like pour himself in through the window t1000 style (laughs) like that's not gonna work man you got a skeleton yeah uh i so i that that was weird but again I feel like the Coen brothers like got high in the early '80s and like, oh man, we got to have this. Fiend. Like, there's got to be gunshots and there's got to be the shafts of light and there's got to be this hand creeping through the window and we're gonna bury a guy alive and maybe he'll get ran over, maybe he won't, and will the guy get shot? And like, all that stuff sounded super cool. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe they just needed. Maybe they just needed a better director, and I'm not saying that Joel is still a in bad the same director. way that we needed better podcasts back in the day when we were doing Blue Yonder. Right? Like, there's some right. there's some stuff there where you can see, like, oh, I can see how that ins- eventually gets polished up into something that has fairly broad appeal. Yeah. But yeah, we could use better podcasters in the early going there. Yeah. Uh, and he's they gotten just needed, much better. They just needed reps. And the other thing right. is, this back in eight, like, also. Yeah. I guess I'm unfairly judging this against their later works when really this is something in the 80s and there's a lot of schlock in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know why I like I see the movie like Commando. Mm-hmm. It's it's your archetype 80s schlocky action. And I just eat it all up. <laughs> but it's just just patently ridiculous. Right. Like, why am I they not weren't going for anything bigger than what they got? Right. Right. So they why, weren't like... why do I give that a pass? Well, I think uh, that's the reason. Like. There's no grand design here where they're like, "Oh, you need to feel the true tension in this scene and mm-hmm. we're going to we're going to play fast and loose with the rules of cinema here." No, they're just fucking making an action movie. But what I'm saying is like 
Blood Simple is to Fargo the way Commando is to True Lies. Oh. Because True Lies is just better in every way. It's better shot. It's better directed. Sure. The action's better. The villains are more compelling. <laughs> Arnold is, he can actually string together a couple sentences. He's got a compelling... But, but I don't go back and watch Commando like, this is a piece of shit. This guy, like, right. what is he doing? Like, you know, what's he doing playing Maybe with the... because the core of that movie is literally just beating people up right. and being a big tough right. guy. Like, like, the, like this, 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 this villain's cast looks like a tub of shit wearing a mesh tank top. <laughs> like, and they clearly cast this guy just because he's just light enough for Arnold to pick him up with a little one leg. Uh, you <laughs> right. know, like, I don't understand why I give it so much slack and I'm like, I'm just like savaging blood simple, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, you're certainly... You're I think Blood Simple is interesting. Like I'm an archaeologist, I'm like, I dug up this fossil, mm-hmm. and I'm like, aha! Here's the missing link that we got from here to Miller's Crossing and Fargo. Right. And instead of like, oh, this is an interesting project in its own right. And also, mm-hmm. I feel like I've, maybe I'm pissing off Sean, which I don't. You know, thanks for your support. Well, I liked it, Sean. There, see, I liked it. I feel like the, uh, this. That's traditionally my role is to find yeah. the redeeming thing in the the picture, and you're like, eh, whatever. This is the rare one. Finally, carry inverted. me through this podcast, Jim. Uh, <laughs> he wants to know where we feel like this lands on the list of Cohen Brothers films you've seen, and how you feel about the direction and skill that Cohen showed the first time out. Oof, that's where I think it's interesting. Is like the quantum leap between this and any of the films they made through the 90s and the aughts. Yeah. Like, just how much more polish and how much, like, just the film stock being better. And You know, I actually like this movie, I think, more than I liked, um, what is the name of their latest one? Hail Caesar? Hail Caesar, yeah. Ooh. I think I like this more. had that really awesome dance scene. Well, damn it, you're right. I mean, that, <laughs> that was, was a really fucking, fucking good. It was a just purely like, I entertaining I laughed out loud scene. for a good 30 to 40 seconds. That and just, I hate Channing Tatum. I, I still yeah. loved it. Yeah. And then him as an I was like, I, I mean, you can make that argument, but... As a, as a whole. Like, the movie as a whole, I actually liked this better than Hail Caesar, for sure. Hmm. Um, it certainly was more interesting in its premise. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, but it had execution problems where Hail Caesar was executed at a phenomenal level throughout, right. but yeah. the premise wasn't all that interesting. Yeah, yeah. Although I think the more you know about the golden age of Hollywood and kind of Hollywood workings, that that I, yeah. I, that's, that's why I thought there was a big discrepancy between the user reviews and the critical reviews because the critics like to eat that shit up. It's a filmmaker's film. Yeah, you know. Yeah, like an insider film. It yeah. wasn't made for us. Right, and then you know it. Some of their movies are just beyond reproach. Like, Big Lebowski is one of my all-time favorite films. I sure. Mean, that's just top to bottom amazing. And that, uh, you know what? That that um, uh, M. M. Emmett Walsh would have been right at home in The Big Lebowski. Yeah. Where he kind of felt like he stuck out like a sore thumb. Like, it's, it, if he was in... Well, but, like, Woody Harrelson is kind of like that way in, in uh, No Country for Old Men. Like he's this okay. more flamboyant, flashy assassin, and of course, yeah, you know, Javier Bardem just eats him for bre- for for breakfast. So I guess that makes sense. But he kind of sticks out of that film. I, well, I want to say he should stick out of that film like a sore thumb, but he doesn't. Yeah. But then again, uh, if, he, he, that laugh—I don't know—it's just the that laugh. laugh was just bad. Yeah, yeah, it really like they needed to they needed to to do some normalization on it or something. <laughs> um, Lower it three octaves. Go back to <laughs> right. Go, like like yeah, just like that laugh should have been bitter, like mm. and like like it's it, 
you know, bitter and resigned more than like genuine a knee slapper lady. What you just did it, a knee yeah, slapper. It felt like he was having a little too much fun telling this guy that his wife's cheating on him. I know. It just didn't feel right. Like Marty should have got mad about that. Yeah, like you're you're, you're in a listen, guy. motherfucker. My wife's cheating on me. Don't laugh. This is not a laughing matter. Also, you want me to pay you, right? But and like right. I, and and I guess he's dangerous enough that you also want him to kill his wife. I don't know. Yeah, that's that is a weird scene. <laughs> Uh, Sean continues the sequence of Ray finding Marty's body in the bar and then cleaning up the crime scene, oh, driving his body to the field and bury Marty alive. One of the most tense sequences I've ever seen on film. What did you think? Was of it, it tense? I was, I couldn't believe what I was seeing on screen. I was seeing a comedy of errors beyond anything I could possibly imagine. Like, but but uh, like it was almost unintentional comedy, but it didn't work like that, and it didn't work yeah. as intentional comedy. Once they got to the field, I agree with you. Yes, the the truck driving up the road, I thought was tense. Um, uh, all Although of there that again, stuff. you see that that DNA like much better executed in Fargo, right? Um, yeah. That that exact scene of the traffic slowly overtaking uh, something savage happening. But that when he first goes to clean it up, he he just stuffs his jacket in a pool of blood. He gets blood on his hands. He leaves a boot print. And, and, and it's he hilariously picks up the unfit. murder weapon like with the, the bloody hand. The only thing worse he could have used to clean that crime scene up would be like uh, a rain jacket, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like like a, he's trying to mop it up with a Ziploc bag. You know? It's, like, it's right. not going to work, man. It's not going to work. Yeah, so no tension in that part of the scene. Use your members-only jacket to, <laughs> to clean up a crime scene. Um, but that, yeah, like so I, I felt like that part didn't work. But once they got to the field, that shit was pretty effective. Yeah. Like so watching someone get buried alive is pretty horrific. Oh, yeah. Especially yeah. just kind of like the... There's something extra cold and chilling about the every man aspect of it. Right. Like this guy's like, oh, I'm just going to just keep doing what I'm doing, ignoring all the... I don't know. Uh, what do you think of the final showdown between Private Detective Walsh's character and Abby? I, I Again, I didn't understand it. Um, and then when he starts shooting through the drywall and then punching his way through the drywall and she's just sitting there watching it, like I, yeah, I didn't know what I was supposed to think because... You know, this guy wasn't particularly menacing, and she had the gun. I, huh. I, I, I don't, I don't, yeah. I think by the end of the movie, he becomes a little more menacing to me, because, um, you know, he still does his laugh thing toward the end, but I, I actually almost felt like it was, uh, you know, it's not as good as Here's Johnny mm-hmm. in The Shining, mm-hmm. um, but it had that same kind of vibe to it, like him shooting through the wall, him punching at the wall. Here's Lauren. <laughs> right. <laughs> he could have shoved his head through that <laughs> hole. Yeah. Started cackling. Uh-huh. Uh, but no, I, I felt like it did have a similar tension there um, to the guy breaking through the wall with the axe. I mean, or the door with the axe. Right. Uh, did you think it was a clever twist? The whole film, I was sure Ray and Marty would be the ones having to show down. That's a good point. Yeah, because, uh, I did like that. There again, you see that's that's kind of the DNA of uh, No Country for Old Men. You think you're going to have this epic showdown between uh, Sugar and uh, what's-his-face? Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin, yeah. but in, in the most tense scene is, and you never get to see the resolution of Sugar versus Brolin's wife. Right. So Yeah, it worked really well on that level for me. That's the the level that it hit best for me is the the switcheroo and the confusion and the mistaken identities. Like all of that stuff, the DNA of Fargo really worked for me. Mm-hmm. 
Both Ray and Abby came to believe the other murdered Marty, and neither will come yep. clean and talk about what happened. What do you think about this, and does it say anything about their love for each other? I, I never thought that Abby loved Ray. Okay. And I don't think she loved Marty, and Marty knew Marty was smart enough to know that, whereas Ray hasn't had the realization that, oh, she's not that into me, which is kind of makes yeah, him and- going to bat for her and the cleaning up the murder scene all the more tragic. Right. Right, he does that, and then he has the conversation, I think it's when he's asking for his money, where Marty says, look, one day she's going to do the same thing to you that she did to me, right? When she looks at you and says, like... There's nothing funny here. You're right, I've and, done and, nothing funny. And, and the fact that that fed in, because that's yeah. exa- essentially, because he's accusing her, not accusing her, but like, hey, you killed that dude, and I helped you out. She's right. like, what are you talking about? There's nothing funny. And, and that just could, reinforces that idea. And and started the kind of suspicion and paranoia between the two characters. Yep. Um. Actually, what had been really fucked up is if they had some way to engineer a situation where she thought Ray was Marty, and she ends up killing Ray, thinking she's protecting herself from Marty. I kind of like thought that would have been better than having you know Hee Haw McGee go through the window, (laughs) but whatever. Yeah, well, he got shot dead. Um, As the private eye dies under sink, the final shot is him looking up at the sink and seeing condensation begin to build and slowly fall on him what do you think the coen brothers were trying to say with their ending their film like this we also see flies surrounding him in a few scenes in the film is that true i didn't notice any particular frequency of flies buzzing around him that i just not pick it up i definitely noticed it in at least one scene because if that's the case that goes back to like you know eric walquist who's a a coen brothers aficionado Mm -hmm. that the Coen brothers like to play with this idea of this unstoppable, evil, demonic force. And, you know, a lot of flies are associated with Satan, and they're trying to make this guy a satanic, menacing figure. I would say that maybe there's some proto-elements of that, but they didn't quite have a handle on it. And maybe that's what they're trying to do with the flies, is just like, oh, he's the Lord of the Flies. He's evil. He's he's a chaotic, chaotic, evil character. Yeah, um, Maybe. But what about I'm not the, sure about the this. sink thing? Yeah, I don't know. I really couldn't tell you about the sink. Well, I mean, again, if if I the, the whole cosmic joke aspect of it is kind of like you know uh, when you're dying, your life flashes before your eyes, and the fact that you know you're witnessing this condensation form and this like purely cosmic. You know, it's purely uh, there's there's no design or thought behind this, and there's, there's like suspension, and there's also the concept of like Chinese water torture. You know, okay. like the just getting dr- driven mad by these drops hitting your head. I think all of that is kind of there, but also I know for a fact the Cohen brothers sometimes put shit like in this just to have people talking about it for no good reason. <laughs> okay. So you know, that's pretty trolly. So it could just be that's the first thing. It's like, oh, you know what? We'll just, we'll just, we'll zoom in on this moisture drop falling and that'll <laughs> blow fuckers' minds. That's a shitty thing to do at the very end of the movie where you should be making a statement. <laughs> I mean, but why? Why is it any more valid than any other kind of way to end up a movie? I, I mean, you're supposed to su- you're supposed to sum it all up, right? Like, but what was this that, movie about in the there final was no, shots? I mean, like, the thing is, like, there was no real meaning here. Like, mm-hmm. it was all that's true. random yeah. acts of... Maybe it, is, maybe it does sum it up. Like, this thing spinning yeah. out of control, and now this is just like, you know, why is the drop falling? Well, why did he double-cross his thing? Why did mm-hmm. the guy decide he wanted to kill his wife instead of just like, okay, I'm going to go and kick her out of my house and go on living my badass, low-rent, seedy bar owner life? 
Uh, I'm sure I can get a Francis McDormand uh, just just right off the just they're flying off the shelves, man. If you're a CD bar owner, I don't know. Debbie's the only one. Is it Debbie? Is it the Steven Tyler look like Deborah? <laughs> the Coens have something a serious uh, thing for actors with bashimi teeth. Is all oh, I'm saying. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. She she's got uh, yeah. She's a few. She's a few. Um, like I don't want to make fun of her too she's much. She's a few but years of not brushing away from having full on a Buscemi situation. She's got Steven Tyler face and Buscemi teeth. It's not good. It's a bad situation. <laughs> um, the private. Okay, so we we. I thought. Oh, in that scene, by the way, with Deborah, where Maurice hitting on her at the bar. I thought we were going to get a full on dance sequence when he goes over to the jukebox and he. Starts oh, the sure. song yeah. and then he jumps up on the bar uh-huh. and kicks his feet. Yeah, I'm like, I'm uh, thinking, here we go. Maybe we need a Hail Caesar dance number in there to elevate Maybe. it. Yeah, yeah, because he did that little like a uh, soft shoe or almost like a yeah. uh, Muhammad Ali boxing kind right. of move. Yep, uh, keeping his shit quick. Uh, and then later on, they had like a stripper get up there and do, but all we saw was oh, her feet. Yeah, yeah, that was weird. Mm. The Coens are closet foot fetishes. Is the name of this bar fetishes. Neon Boots? Or is that a brand of beer? I I I, I don't it said know. Because bar, there was a neon sign that said "bar" above it, and then neon boots. But on it was the, the size shaped. of like a Miller sign. I know. You know. Yeah, I've never heard of neon boots as far as beer goes, but I think that's one of the artifacts from the Doctor Strange movie. Neon boots of leaping. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, final thought from Sean. Uh, Joel Cohen was an assistant editor on Sam Raimi's original Evil Dead. The Coens and Raimi have become friends, and when the Coens told Raimi about their idea for Blood Simple, he convinced them to create a proof-of-concept trailer to show potential investors. Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell starred in it, and it worked. The Coens are able to raise enough funds to make the movie. You can find it here, which he links to YouTube. I think fans of the movie or Coen Brothers fans in general might appreciate this bit of background, and hopefully you and Jim do as well. I will say after seeing this trailer that this movie was Raimi as f- or this this trailer is Raimi as fuck. Yeah. Like there's way more Raimi camera moves and touches than there were Coen Brothers. Absolutely. I'm glad they didn't shoot this whole movie that way because um, Sam sure. Raimi has a style that I yeah. think needs to be just Sam Raimi's style. Right. And I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't think it would have worked at all in this movie. And I, that trailer feels real weird. It really banged home the idea that they had these sequence of like vaguely menacing yeah. things, like the bullets coming through the wall and this mm-hmm. the shovel being slowly drugged and and they had these ideas and they're like you know describing this and now look at this trailer, um, right? But it also felt like Sam Raimi was just over Joel's shoulder pointing and saying, "Stick the camera there." Yeah. Now, now grab this camera now and run up and toward run this over, guy. Run over the Cadillac. And, right. Yeah. Uh huh. Like that is a Sam Raimi trailer. That is not a Joel it is Cohen. Trailer. Very Sam Raimi. Like he didn't just start. Like, I feel like he direct, He he held the camera through ninety percent of it too. Yeah. Feels like it. Um, but no, it's super interesting. I will link that in the show notes as well okay. so that you guys, if you want to check it out, I'm sure it's probably... No, the other thing that I thought was interesting about this is that there's a director's edition that's actually three minutes shorter than the original release because I guess the Coen brothers went and like removed a couple scenes and really tightened up the dialogue, which I kind of wish maybe I'd seen that version because some of the stuff that sounds like some of the more plotty aspects of it, they might have doctored up and addressed. Yeah. Took out the anal stuff. 
<laughs> the blood anal. Don't oh, need any blood anal, man. No. Uh, but yeah, I think again for my, I'm glad I saw this because it's it's I'm I'm one step closer to seeing all of the Raimi or the, all. Psh, see, they got me. That they he, he's hijacked it. Uh, all of the Coen Brothers movies. Yeah. Um, and I do think that this is extremely interesting to see, like the 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 how many different ways that they've respun this into better films mm-hmm. like the the uh, the the inept criminality the, the double dealing and deception the confusion from multiple characters and not fully understanding um the unstoppable evil forces like all these things are in a very protozoan um and promethean kind of way in this film yep and it's like, and I'd almost encourage people like if you haven't seen a lot of Coen Brothers, like see this one first. Sure, yeah. So then you can be like, oh yeah, when you see Fargo, oh, this is like they took that formula and perfected it, or No Country for Old Men. Oh yeah, I see, I see what they're going with that. Or even like you said, um, some of these flamboyant characters, they they's like, what if we made a movie where everyone is as flamboyant <laughs> as uh, the what, what's Laura's? Yeah, as Laura, and then you got something like The Big Lebowski, right? So, uh, or Raising Arizona is another example. Like, if you took a film and just filled it full of guys like that. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're going to have a guy man in a 7-Eleven, he's going to be this version of the guy man in a 7-Eleven. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, I appreciate that, Sean. Thank you so much for your support and for commissioning this movie. And uh, we will have, I don't know, do you, do you happen to know what the, the yeah, next ne- one we're talking about? next one's Point Break. Oh. So, that should be a fun one. <laughs> oh, and this is the Nattercast special. Yeah. Have you seen Point Break, the original? Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. Okay. okay. Multiple times. Good. Good. That should be another classic. Gary Busey. <laughs> you got Patrick Swayze. You got Gary Neo. Teeth. Oh man. Uh, all making starring turns. Yeah, this is going to be a fun one. Uh, I yeah. can't wait. Uh, we'll be back probably next week with that. Um, again, thanks, Sean. If you'd like to find out how you can commission your very own podcast, is easy. Go to baldmove.com/slash/shop and uh, click on the big film canister-looking thing two ways to do it you can either pay up front for your own commission or you can chip in 10 bucks at a time for community commissions uh, and pull together the whole bald move community make a more uh something a little bit more on menu happen <laughs> uh but yeah there you go uh, we'll be back uh sometime in the future and until then i'm aaron and i'm jim see ya